Hi, my name is Shannon Lee, and you're listening to The Slapcast. Everyone, Christmas is now over. We are heading into New Year's this week, and this is actually a very special Slapcast. It's going to be a little shorter. We decided to do something different. No announcements. I'm not going to tell you to like and subscribe because we're found everywhere where there are podcasts. I'm not going to tell you that we can be found at Relay Leadership on all the socials or that you can reach me at info at relayleadership.org. I'm not going to tell you any of that. <laughs> we're going to get right to business. And what we're doing at the end of the year, we thought we'd have a little bit of fun. It's going to be helpful too. We reached out to our social networks at Relay and we asked them what was the worst leadership advice they've ever been given. And we've developed a top 10 list. And these range from being seriously terrible leadership, examples of leadership advice, all the way to some things that are actually quite humorous. So we're going to start in. And Jason, what is number 10? I'm joined by Jason, our community engagement manager. Welcome, Jason, to the Slapcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> should all acquaintance be forgot, we should not forget this horrible advice from real bosses. <laughs> I love it. So without further ado, what is number 10? You may have heard it once or a thousand times. Do as I say, not as I do. You know, I never heard that from a leader. I actually heard that from my parents a lot. <laughs> Honest <laughs> parents would say they felt it many times <laughs> over in their lives. Maybe my parents weren't, as they say today, woke, but <laughs> as the children say, right. The parents don't say that. No. Um, so for me, I think this is an obvious one that it's bad advice, but I agree with you. I think there are lots of people who feel this way, even if they don't say it. I think as leaders, Man, sometimes it feels like you're being asked a lot of questions and asked for input on a lot of things. And sometimes it feels like you just want to say, just just do what I'm telling you to do. Yeah, I think that's true. There is a little bit of transparency in this statement. Like, we all like to hear the story of like, oh, I totally blew it. You know, when you hear that from somebody that like you thought was like perfect. Right. Um, it's like encouraging to hear that. It can be a very abused statement. But if somebody's seriously using this as advice, it, it's a good indication to turn and run, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, but let's think about that for a second. There have been times where I made a clear mistake as a leader and I've used this to say, don't do what I did, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but listen to what I'm saying, listen to what I've learned. So I think in that instance, it's okay. But that's like, you're acknowledging. do as I say, not as I did. Oh, that's true. Good point. Like I learned. Yeah, you're right. So that one sucks. Like yeah. you, you want to, nobody's perfect, but you want to not just practice what you preach, but you want to make sure you're preaching what you're actually already practicing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a better way to show up than what we just shared with number 10. So number nine says, do something you're passionate about and you will never work a day in your life. Sign me up for that <laughs> right now. Now, I think I've said it before on the Slapcast. If not, I'll repeat it here, but I say it a lot in workshops. I think passion is overrated. Totally overrated. I think that passion develops over a long period of time. And so when you tell someone to just find something you're passionate about and then go do that, that it sets them up for failure a lot of times, because I think there's only a few people that have like obvious talents and gifts and abilities that, and then they follow that as a passion. Like most people don't get to do that. That's actually kind of a privileged thing to say. 
there are a lot of people who don't have that kind of opportunity to pursue what they're passionate about. So to me, there's barriers to pursuing your passion. And then the other problem I have with this is it means that if I just pursue my passion, then what I do for a living isn't always going to feel like work. And I'm here to tell you, as much as I love the freedom that I have being the leader of an organization, as much freedom as I feel crafting my day and, and designing my own schedule and all of that kind of stuff, it feels like work still. I mean, there's still, and, and that's not to say that work is bad. I think work is good. Work is good for us. So it almost makes it sound like if you do something you're passionate about, you'll never have to do something terrible like work a day in your life. I'm like, but work is good. So, I mean, why are we setting people up for this? I think it's it's a really bad advice. Yeah, and let's not overlook that what we were passionate about in one moment may right. not be the thing that we're passionate about forever. There was a time where I was passionate about rocking my Jinko jeans and Airwalk shoes. Oh my gosh. However... Thank the Lord, which is probably time for that to come back around. I don't even know around. what Jinko jeans are. Jinkos are back? Jinkos are back. What are they, so though? So Jinkos were these pants that flared out like 30 inches. Do you remember this? You couldn't even see the shoe. It was a real big hit in the mid and late 90s, um, and I was passionate about this look. I got you. But I got to look this up on Thank my goodness phone. that I did not decide that this would be my life's work or my life's <laughs> not work because everything would fall into place. Oh my gosh. No. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. I, I did that. You wore those? I did that. I did oh my gosh. We used to bring two liters into the movies because your pockets would go all the way down. Here. Yeah. It, it <gasps> was like supposed to look like your pants were sagging. So like oh we, my so that's just one example of where your passion, another passion of mine, pogs. <laughs> Do you remember these, these I little cardboard, them. like bottle, you still have them. You bottle caps. I could, that was a hustle in the Lunch line, Bro, but like look uh, at the prices of the Jinkos. The Jinkos are selling solid for two twenty five right now. If anybody wants to get back in that I game, I would not pay twenty five cents for those. You G- know what? Jinko.com. So just an example. Like what we're passionate about in one moment may not be like our life's ambition. And I think it's yeah. it's good for us to recognize the seasons and ebbs and flows. And I'm thankful. Some of the things I was passionate about as a seventh grader, I still am but my passion doesn't define my life's work uh, in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, and sometimes what we do for a living, for work, makes something that we're passionate about possible. And I, I shared the example previously. It's one of my favorite stories. It's an absolute true story of a man who owned a plumbing business. And the whole reason he did it, started a business, is because he wanted to create a business that was you know, made money that was virtually recession-proof. Why? Because he and his wife were passionate about adopting children who were difficult to adopt because they had medical issues. Kids with medical issues are even more expensive to raise than just your average healthy child. And so he knew he needed to do that. And he knew that plumbing companies do really well. People always need a plumber. He said, when he talked about this, he said, do you think I get up excited to clear like clogged hair out of drains. No, that's not what I'm excited about. He goes, I'm not even excited about the stress and the problems that are created by owning an actual family-owned business. He said, I'm not passionate about that. But all of that makes my passion possible. So it's bad advice. There, If you're lucky enough that you get to do make money with your what you're passionate about, more power to you, very happy for you. Um, and I think it's possible. I just don't think it's probable for the vast majority of people. So that's, re- that's my opinion. And at Relay, we would say, do something you're passionate about, and you will show up your best at work. That's right. To work every day. That's right. Because you'll be more fulfilled that's right. in all of your life. So number eight, why don't you give us that one, Jason? <laughs> this is great. 
the way your PowerPoint, that dates it a little bit, the way your PowerPoint looks is more important than having the right content. I couldn't believe this when I saw this, that someone actually got that advice. Before we move past this, I don't want to undersell how many speeches in college I got a decent grade on because I knew more about the animations of PowerPoint than my professor did. <laughs> Wait, was your speech about PowerPoint animations? No, but like... Um, well, then that's... That would make more sense. sense. Yeah. <laughs> I did one on about how rock and roll was dead. And I think, I can't remember who it was, but there was some boy band and I just... Now, it, hold it, on a second. You never believed rock and roll was dead. I know you. Why would you do a report well, on why is rock and roll dead? So in 2003, when I'm graduating high school, I was the only guy jamming out to the 1984 Van Halen album in his 1988 Dodge Durango. <laughs> so what I was saying was whatever this new version of rock and roll was had died. Oh, and we needed okay. to resurrect the guitar era again. And this but, was your topic. Okay. So PowerPoint is not everything. The slide deck's great. It's important, but, you know, knowing what you're talking about. And I mean, I could blow this up into a big macro point here, which is you should. what we're telling people is that substance is not important, just appearance. Can anybody vouch for that as being a good thing? Anybody? Nobody in the Nobody. room? Nobody. Crickets. Anybody? Thank you. I think we can move on. I do have a crickets thing. Do you? I don't remember which one it is. Oh, we need to use that. Anybody? Hold on. <laughs> nope, rim shot. There's a cricket. <laughs> we got crickets. That's how you know you've arrived in the new, podcast world. New you have a cricket. New technology. Let's get that one more time, Jonathan. Thank you. We get to edit that one in. So number seven, growth is the most important metric of success. Ouch. Um. Okay. So. I do believe there's a degree of truth in this from a perspective that I think it is. A, no, it's not true. It's not the most important metric. I, I believe growth in certain areas can be a metric. I think we should measure growth, whether it be engagement numbers, um, employee retention, revenue, obviously revenue by month, quarter, whatever, um, attrition, mm -hmm. all those things should be measured for sure, because you can manage, the saying is you can manage what you measure. But to say that growth is the most important metric of success, growth of what? Is it growth of the bottom line? Now, if you tell me how much my people are growing and developing as professionals, I might be able to get on board with that. But I have a feeling since this person listed it as a they submitted it as the worst advice they ever got. I have a feeling that's not what they were talking about. Yeah, and I think this person, if I remember, also had another comment. Uh, it had to do with they were scaling their employment too quickly without keeping the culture in place. So, uh, you know, a common thing I would hear in the nonprofit side of this is healthy things grow. So it's not about the numbers, but healthy things grow. But here's another thing that I believe. Healthy things kill things that are unhealthy. So somewhere in an organization, you go from saying, oh, if this is a good thing, we should do it to our vision is so refined that we're really comfortable saying no to this opportunity. And it seems like the people that really master the hedgehog concept say that sometimes growth is saying no. Yeah. Sometimes growth looks smaller. And so the, our, our tendency, and I'm sure it's a very Western thought, is that up and to the right is, mm -hmm. is growth, when in other times, refining that vision is the, the healthiest way to grow. Well, think about what our friend Chris McAllister says about seasons. Right? Yeah. So I heard in nonprofit, specifically in the church world, and maybe they didn't make this up, but this is where I heard it was anything alive is growing. Mm. So, therefore, if your church isn't growing, it's not alive. And so, this is something negative. Okay. Like bad on you. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard it in other settings. 
The problem is when a tree grows and it becomes mature, it has green leaves, and then eventually it goes into a type of hibernation. The fall comes, at least in Ohio, the leaves fall, and it seems like there's no growth taking place, but actually everything happening underneath the surface. So in many ways, the tree has to scale back in order to yeah. have growth. But if we expect everything, yeah, it's like an, it's like an unrealistic expectation, you know, up and to the right is exactly, mm-hmm. exactly what the, what this communicates, even if that's not what they mean. Well, and not to be too graphic with this, but you know what else grows? Cancer. Like there, yeah. there are so <laughs> many terrible, unhealthy, uh, things that will grow, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, things will grow. I have a 10 year old and a five year old. If they do not bathe, the <laughs> funk on their body will grow and the odor will grow. And so it's just like, uh, we have to identify what growth we're looking for. And so oh. not the best advice. Okay. Can you talk about number six? <laughs> number six. This is great. So again, the question we asked was, what's the worst advice you ever got from a leader? This was just funny. It's actually a family member of mine. I don't want to get too much of it, but he said the worst advice he ever got from a boss was sign this non-compete agreement. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe you found yourself in this space where you're like, I'm just going to go do my own thing. I'm had enough of this. I'm ready. This is my time. And you know exactly what it is. You're like, oh, man, legally, there are some issues here. So maybe that was more unpleasant news than it was advice. But yes. That, I've actually only one. seen a non-compete. Now, I'm sure it gets enforced many, much more often than I've observed. But I'm saying in my, let's see, I graduated college in 19... And so in all the years that I've been working... Mm-hmm. Um, did you I've, finish that sentence? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I've only seen a non-compete challenged once and the company actually won. Hmm. And, but they withdrew their demand for financial, re, is it reparations? No. For financial, like they sued this person. They withdrew that, but this person had to turn over, um, had to stop doing something. I can't remember what it was now. But other than that, I've seen non-competes not work very well, but- I would hate to have to fight that myself legally because it could cost you twenty, forty, sixty thousand dollars to fight mm-hmm. it anyway. It's why do you think this though is terrible advice? Uh, you know, some of this is advice that you may or may not be able to avoid um, if it's offered it to you. Um, but I would just say this: it's really important to leave well. I think it matters how we are uh, in our on our frame of mind, in our attitude in our intentions, in our motives when we make a transition in the Mm -hmm. workplace. And so this is typically something that maybe that happened in orientation. A lot of times it's more of an emphasis on the exit. It is. Um, But I think with intentions and attitude, that's where we have to check it and say, am I going to take this unhealth or toxic whatever with me? Because it will come with you if you do not leave in a healthy way. So I think that's important there. What I don't like about non-competes, is what you said is it's normally on the exit and it's almost used as a leverage. Mm-hmm. It's it's used to leverage. It's a power over move. But which think about it, if somebody doesn't want to be there anymore, like why do you really we... want them to stay that bad, exactly. miserable? <laughs> exactly, that's costing you money. And think about now maybe maybe this is too soft, but it's enough that you want to leave. I'm going to let you go now. I'm going to hamper your ability to earn a living. Like it just I don't know. Now I understand a non compete that protects like company information and secrets and IP. IP yeah, I, I think that's important because the company invested money in to developing a product or um, a service or whatever. And I think they should protect what they create. 
But a non-compete that prohibits you from going and working somewhere else that is a similar organization only just hurts someone's ability to earn money, potentially. And so to me, that's a gray area that I feel is a little mean-spirited. Yeah, and and it can stir up that pain when you were like a 10-year-old and Jimmy struck out in the sandlot and he brought the baseball and decided to take it home and ruin your afternoon for the other eight guys that were there. Um, Do we have any non-sports analogies for the... For the it non-sporting is people like, like <laughs> if Jimmy brought the chessboard to yeah. the meet and then needed to take it because somebody checkmated him with his rook five to knight four. That's not how that works. Not bad. I did not play chess. I did not either. Now, number five, never give up until they have said no three times. Never, ever, I'm ever. Assuming- and then, Yes. I'm assuming this is a sales person in a sales environment. So their advice is to keep asking and pushing until the person says no three times. But how do you say never give up until the third time? <laughs> that's not really never. Yeah, you're right. I didn't catch that until just now. <laughs> that doesn't really work. That, it's kind of, there's a conflictory I mean, statement in there. No means no. So I would be compelled to write an email and ask the same question three different ways so I could just get my nose over with if it was no. So I once worked for a call center. We took calls for people that had these dining cards. And if people called and wanted to cancel their dining card, the sole metric for us was how many, they called them saves, how many saves we would get. And we had scripts that we used based on whatever rebuttal they said. I can't afford it. I don't eat out very much. All of the reasons. Okay. And you turn, they were all tabbed in a notebook or like a binder. And you turn to that and you read the script to re, to rebut their reason. You had to rebuttal three times. If they said no, you know what you said first? I can certainly understand. And then you rebuttal them again. And then when they say no, you say, I can certainly understand. And it's like, no, you're not understanding. I don't want your damn dining card. And, and I actually, you know, you said you should leave a place well. I did not leave that place well. Mm. You know why? Every This was a job I had in college. I'm not proud of this, but I, I drove every day to that job from Reynoldsburg area to Westerville. And I cried every day mm. on my way to that job because I hated it so much. And I hated being forced to do that. And I had to do it because they recorded our calls and you never knew when you were, yours was going to get pulled for QA. And sure enough, one of mine got pulled for QA. Only got two no's. And I only got, you know, I didn't, actually, I think I, the guy was being nasty to me on the phone and I, and I got sassy with him. And so you should, like, I talk back, you know. And... Do you still have that? I, I was a little short. Recording. <laughs> we like that recording. <laughs> I was a little short with the person. And so, um, but I was still really unhappy the whole time. So one night I just walked in and I looked at my supervisor and I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm really sorry. I'm not even working tonight. Here you go. And I handed him my headset and I left and I never went back. Did you feel a little bit like Kevin Bacon when he wins the case in Footloose? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Time to dance. I had no then... other job and I needed money for rent and I didn't care. Three times? <laughs> if you didn't hear that Jonathan just asked Jonathan just asked did they try to keep you three times which is a great question I understand how you feel oh no they right. did not do that okay, okay number, number four, four if you want a job done right you can finish this one do, do it yourself it's interesting yeah. interesting concept yeah it, it is bad advice because 
you know, well, I could go into all the reasons. Number one, when you take responsibilities back from people, you are maybe intentionally, but hopefully unintentionally communicating. I don't believe in you. You can't do it. It's also an unwillingness on your part as the leader to develop them and help them figure out how to do it and to give them the amount of direction that they need, the support they need. And when you take something back from someone where you've given them a responsibility, you're robbing them of that development opportunity. You're also robbing yourself of of a development opportunity, which is challenging yourself to figure out what do I need to do to help this person become successful. Um, If most leaders are honest that do this kind of, that operate this way, really they're just not patient. They don't want to take the time to develop other people because it does take longer, let's be Mm -hmm. honest. I think very few people are doing this because they truly believe that they're the only ones that can do it, although there are some I think that think that. I think that many times there's a deep insecurity from the leader that they found their worth in what they've individually contributed and not seeing how far developing people will go. Mm. There's a fear of replacing themselves when, you know, at Relay we talk about that being a win. This is the apex. You've multiplied your leadership. If you do this well in a healthy organization, they will parade you around the office on their shoulders, metaphorically or actually. Um, but the idea is if we're leading out of insecurity, we're really worried that our own contributions have to be everything. Yeah. And I think that's been an experience for me at times where uh, a leader will say, if you want it done right, do it yourself. And they miss the opportunity to develop so many people. Yeah. And it almost comes from an arrogance that I'm really the only one that's, I'm the smartest person in the room. Mm. Or right? a fear that they might not be. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so they got to make sure they are seen yeah. as being, yeah. So number three, don't try to give your employees all the days off they're asking for. They'll think they deserve it. <laughs> Dang. I feel like that needed evil laughter. At the end. You got is, that one? No? Just crickets is, again? How manipulative is that? <laughs> this is real advice. Is that Twilight Zone? We'll take that. Yeah. I mean, most companies have like a standard, like an SOP for how you get vacation time anyway, right? So you kind of do deserve it if you like if you get so many vacation days a year that you earn because of however your company determines that mm-hmm. then it's not about deserving or not deserving like you actually get those days period let me tell you what i know about this boss they have no no hr experience oh okay <laughs> i mean i'm guessing uh, cuz i just don't know if that flies in a place that actually has that uh, a department uh, there may be legal ramifications and if you're the person that was robbed out of vacation you might want to take that up with superiors you might get some of that back <laughs> Okay, number, what's number right, two? Number two, this one was pretty interesting. So someone said that they were in like a review process, an annual review, asked their boss, what advice do you have for me? Like, how can I grow as a leader? And their boss paused and just said, have you ever seen House of Cards? <laughs> and so <laughs> this person said that their boss was implying that they needed to be more political, behind the scenes, manipulative, work the scenes, play the game. Wow. I mean, the whole, the title of the show is House of Cards. Right. Which <laughs> the whole point of this is, this is fall. dysfunctional behind the scene. Right. There's instability it's here. It's not a good foundation. I'm going to take this a step further and let you know that I had an actual encounter with an employer when this show was really big that told me, you're my Meacham. So 
Kevin Spacey plays, you know, he's working his way up, becomes, you know, he's, he's, he's high up and he has this right hand guy named Meacham who does all this dirty work, like kills people. So I had this moment where I think what was being said is you're my right hand person. I can't do this without you. But the other side of my interpretation of that was, I need you to go murder people for me and do the dirty work and never tell anyone about it. And I need blind loyalty. That would scare me. It was a little sketchy. Um, took me a moment to process through that. Um, (laughs) Um, I'm way too extroverted to ever keep anything like that quiet. So <laughs> they would know at the barbershop in no time. You would not believe what my boss I did a said. thing for my boss, a murder thing. <laughs> Don't, I mean. <laughs> uh, I'll let you do number one because I think there's some context for the yeah, last one. Yeah. This is really interesting. A big one for Relay. So this was a real thing. A boss told somebody, quit being the student and start being the teacher. I think that's a good idea to start being the teacher, but only in certain situations. Like, is this someone who needs to learn more, needs to develop more? I don't know. But if the context is... I don't need you to ask me any more questions and try to learn more. I just need you to go out and do and get out of my hair. Like it, it feels like a dismissive statement to me. Is there more context from the person who posted it? Do you know? No, I wish there was more. I think in the thought of when you look at people that have a tremendous impact and if you look in the workplace or in the corporate space, executive leaders, they say that the ones that are super impactful and effective have never stopped being a student. Yeah. So there may be some validity to, hey, you need to start teaching. You need to share your story. Um, there's some of us that have been in leadership roles and we wonder how our story translates. And the truth is our story needs to be shared. Our journey needs to be shared. Um, what we have to offer each other. When we talk about employee engagement, effective organizations are ones that have employees that share who they are, what they care about. They pour their passions in. And so I do see a value in some of us that uh, perhaps have only been in the seat of student to take a step out, to push ourselves a little bit, to share our story, to share our advice or what we see or observations. Um, But the moment we stop being the student, we are in a a dangerous place because what we're seeing right now, the, the percentage of of disengagement, that Gallup poll that we reference all the time, over 70% of employees are disengaged at work. They're saying that a lot of that has to do with this pedestal model of leadership that took place for, for, for a long time where leaders were saying, I kind of have this figured out. I learned what I need to learn. And here's what you need to learn from my experience. Um, And then we wonder why we're so disappointed in our leadership. You know, we, we cannot, I'm committed to being a lifelong learner. I encourage other people to do that. There does come a time, I think, in your learning where you do get to share that with others if you want. If it was done in that spirit, I can go along with the second half of it, but I can never go along with quit being a student. Can never go along with that. Um, So maybe it was just a poor delivery of a general concept of, hey, it's time for you to lead. It's time for you to teach others. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll, 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 we won't know unless we ask that person. But being cynical makes this a little more entertaining. It does. Okay, so those are the top 10 that were submitted, and we had a bunch of them come mm-hmm. through from Facebook and LinkedIn. Thanks for joining in on that. If you hopped on Facebook yeah, or that LinkedIn, was fun. Or, that was fun. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. So coming up in just a few, day, few days is New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. We will be back in January. Just want to remind everyone that 
moving into the new year, we're really focused on this idea of awakening the best in you. That's really the essence of what we're trying to really communicate in 2020. And in January, we're going to be talking about something around awakening the best in you related to connecting meaningfully with the people around you. So we're excited to bring that content to you in January. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.